Good morning to you all once again, and grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. How many of you have ever flown on an airplane? I'm expecting most hands to go up, right? What's the purpose of flying on an airplane? Why do we do it? Well, it's to get you from one place to another, hopefully in a much quicker way than you could get there by driving or walking or riding a horse or however. Sharon and I flew from here in Billings, Montana to Panama City, Florida a few weeks ago, and we had to stop off in Dallas, Texas to change planes, and we had about a two-hour layover. But we still got there a lot quicker than if we had chosen to drive. Now, the Billings Airport is much smaller than the airport serving the Dallas-Fort Worth area. In fact, when we moved here, I was amazed at how small the Billings Airport was when we were so used to Denver International Airport. But the Billings in Dallas-Fort Worth, I think, is even bigger than DIA. The Billings Airport has seven gates, if I remember correctly. I think we flew out of Gate 7, which was the one at the far end. While the Dallas-Fort Worth Airport has over 160 gates spread out over five different terminals. And it's really important that you arrive at the right gate if you want to catch your flight. Now, we landed, when we landed in Dallas, we landed and pulled up on Concourse B, but our connecting flight was out of Concourse C. So we had to take the train, the, the light rail system at the airport, to get from one concourse to another, and it works really slick. It works really well. But then we had to find the correct gate for our next flight. And why was that so important? Well, there are a lot of gates on Terminal C, and each one had a plane sitting at it waiting for people to board so they could go somewhere. But there was only one gate that had a plane that was scheduled to go to Panama City, Florida. Now, we could have chosen any number of gates that were available to us. Actually, when I think about it, none of them were really available to us because our boarding passes were for one gate only. But just suppose, just suppose that our boarding passes could have gotten us on any one of those planes on that concourse. We could have traveled to, to Denver or to Detroit or Boston or Seattle or Portland or Atlanta or even overseas to London or Paris. But if we truly wanted to go to Panama City, Florida, there was only one gate that would get us there. So that's where we went. We went to that gate. We're in the middle of our series looking at the seven I Am statements of Jesus from the book of John. Two weeks ago, we heard Jesus say, I am the bread of life. And we learned that Jesus is our sustenance. He is what we need to take in on a daily basis for our spiritual nourishment. Last week, we heard Jesus say, I am the light of the world. And we learned that Jesus brought the light of God into our sin-darkened world so that sinners could see the way to God and so that we could have guidance and direction in our lives today. This morning, we'll look at where Jesus says, I am the gate for the sheep. And as we look at this next statement of Jesus, keep in mind what I said about those gates at the airport. There are many gates available, but only one will get you where you truly want to go. This statement of Jesus is found in the Gospel of John chapter 10. So I invite you to please take your Bibles and turn with me to John chapter 10. And please stand with me as you're able for the reading from God's Word this morning. <clears throat> this morning I'll be reading John 10 uh, from verse 1 
down through verse 10. I tell you the truth. The man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of his sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but they did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Oh Lord, as we look at this other statement of yours, another I am statement that you made, open up your word to us, Lord. Help us to understand it. Holy Spirit, guide and direct our thoughts and my mind today and my words I pray as always, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts together would be pleasing and acceptable to you as we look into your word today. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. As we begin this morning, as always, it's important for us to understand the context in which Jesus makes this statement. In the previous passage, Jesus had healed a man who had been blind from birth. Now the Pharisees in that passage questioned the healing, saying that the man had not really been born blind. So the man's parents came forward and testified that yes, this was their son, and he had in fact been blind from birth. Now this healing had also taken place on the Sabbath. So the Pharisees said that whoever had healed this man was a sinner, because he had broken the Sabbath. The man who had been healed simply gave witness to the fact that he had been blind, but now he could see. And the man who had healed him had to be from God. Well, the Pharisees threw this man out of the synagogue. Some of the Pharisees followed along to see what would happen. Jesus met the man that he had healed, and the man saw him for the first time. In the healing, Jesus had told the man he had made some mud, put it on his eyes, and told him to go wash in the pool of Siloam. So he had not seen Jesus. Now he sees Jesus for the first time. Jesus goes on then to infer that the Pharisees who had thrown him out and not accepted the man's testimony, that they were spiritually blind, just as this man had been physically blind. He then went on in this next passage to equate the Pharisees with the ones who were trying to enter the sheep pen by some way other than the gate. He was saying that there was only one correct way to enter into the sheep pen, and that was through the gate. For us to better understand this, we need a better picture of what a sheep pen really was. Most of us today will think of of more like a modern-day corral or some type of fenced-in area, right? That's really not what the sheep pen was back then. And there were actually two types 
of sheep pens back then. There was the, the larger communal shape sheep pen that was just outside the city, usually attached to the city walls. And then there were the sheep pens that were out in the fields, out in the wild where the shepherds would, would put their sheep in for the night to guard them while they were far away from the city. Now the pens just outside the city were quite large. They would build walls, usually against uh, the back of the fence or, or, the, or the wall of the city, and then they would enclose that area with one gate that was used for the sheep to go in and to come out. And there could be multiple flocks of sheep in this pen at any given time. Such an enclosure meant that overnight, it might only take a couple of people, sometimes only one person, to protect the sheep and be the gatekeeper. When it came time for the shepherd to get his flock in the morning, he would come to the gatekeeper, who, who knew who all the shepherds were, and the shepherd would then call his sheep. And only the sheep who know the call of their shepherd will respond, because they know who it is that they have to follow and their shepherd will then lead them out. We'll talk about this a little bit more in depth in just a little bit. But the pens that were out in the fields, in the open fields, they looked a little different. These pens were smaller, usually just large enough for one flock to stay in overnight. These pens had walls of, of stone that had been built up or possibly just, just wide areas of brush that had been piled together. They were high enough to hopefully keep the predators out. The stone walls or the brush walls were then usually topped with briars or, or prickly types of branches so that the predators wouldn't want to go over the top. It's kind of like how we build fences today with barbed wire or razor wire on the top of them, right? It's to keep people out who don't belong there. And even these pens out in the wilderness just had one gate. The only way in and out of the sheep pen was through that one gate. These were safe, safe places for the sheep to spend the night before they went out to graze again the next day. So the first part of Jesus' teaching here is really referring to the type of the gate that's just outside the city. And he says that the man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him. Now the watchman is the one who has been there all night guarding that gate, guarding the sheep to keep the sheep safe so the shepherd could get some rest. And Jesus says the watchman opens the gate and the sheep listen for the voice of the shepherd. And the shepherd calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And that when he has called them all by name, he then goes ahead of the sheep and the sheep follow him. Why? Because they know his voice. But Jesus says the sheep will never follow a stranger. No, he says, in fact, they'll run away from a stranger because they don't recognize his voice. This is an amazing thing that the sheep do, considering how, honestly, how, how stupid they really are. I mean, if you've ever been around sheep, they're not the, the brightest of animals. But this is one thing that they do really, really well. There are people who have traveled to the Middle East, even today, and they've been amazed. They've witnessed the sheep following their shepherd's voices. Uh, picture a, a, a large watering hole, and there may be three or four flocks of sheep together at one time, drinking. Just this big mass of dirty white fluff to the casual observer, right? 
How in the world does each shepherd know which sheep are his? Well, each shepherd has a different voice or a different whistle or a different tune that they sing, and the sheep, they know what to listen for. When one shepherd decides it's time for his flock to move on, he simply calls to them, either with his voice, his whistle, his tune, whatever it may be that his sheep will recognize. And people have been amazed who have watched this. They say that the sheep that belong to that shepherd, when they hear that signal, whatever it may be, they actually lift their heads. And they listen again to make sure they're hearing their shepherd's call. And when they hear it, they follow him. The other sheep that are still there, they won't even look up because it isn't their shepherd that's calling. And once that flock has moved on, the next shepherd then, with whatever voice he may be using, will call to his sheep. And they will look up, and they will follow. The other sheep won't even look up at the sound of the voice if it isn't the voice of their shepherd. So what Jesus says here about the sheep following the shepherd because they know his voice, but they won't follow a stranger because they don't recognize the stranger's voice, well, it's true. It can still be seen today. But how do the sheep come to recognize and know their shepherd's voice? Well, they hear it every day. Not just once a day or even twice a day, but continually throughout the day they hear their shepherd's voice. They get so accustomed to hearing it that any other voice besides their shepherd's sounds foreign to them and they won't follow it. The shepherd's call conveys to the sheep this positive reassurance that the shepherd cares for them. And that every time he calls them, he has their best interest at heart. So they listen, and they follow. So I ask all of us, myself included today, how well do we know the voice of our shepherd, Jesus? How often during the day do we make time to listen to and to hear his voice? And maybe a better question to ask is, how? How do we hear the voice of God? Well, we can hear God's voice through, through reading the Bible, through reading His Word. We can hear His voice by attending church, by listening to Christian music, by reading Christian books. We can hear His voice through prayer. We can hear God's voice through the prompting of the Holy Spirit, through the wise counsel of godly friends. There are lots of ways that God will speak to us. But if we're only allowing Him to speak to us just once a day, or maybe even not even on a daily basis then how well do we really know his voice? Are we familiar enough with his voice that when we hear the stranger calling, we know right away that it isn't the voice of God, so we don't respond and we don't follow? If we're constantly being pulled in directions that seem to get us in trouble or put us into danger, whether it's physical, emotional, or spiritual danger, then we probably don't know the voice of our shepherd well enough. So how do we get to know it well enough to follow it and only it? We need to spend time with our shepherd. It's the only way to truly know his voice. How do people who work in in banks know what is real currency and what might be counterfeit? Now, nowadays, they have some newer technology, and some of the newer bills have watermarks on them and special lines, and they can mark with pens to see if they're real or not. But before all of this new technology came out, 
how did they know what was real? They spent time with it. They knew from handling and working with real money for hours on end every day what real money looked like and what real money felt like. And anything then that they came across that didn't look or feel right to them, they knew right away to have it checked out because they were so familiar with what was real. But they only got to that point by spending time day in and day out with what was real. We're called to do the same in our spiritual walks. We need to spend time with our shepherd, listening to his voice, learning to hear his voice, so that we'll know beyond a shadow of a doubt when we hear a voice that doesn't sound quite the same. It's the only way to be sure the voice we are hearing is truly our shepherd's voice. In verse 6, John wrote that Jesus used this figure of speech, but they still didn't understand what he was telling them. Remember, at the beginning, we saw that the context of where Jesus makes a statement was right after he had healed that man who had been born blind, and the Pharisees, first of all, didn't believe in the healing, and then were upset because the healing had taken place on the Sabbath. Jesus then uses this healing to basically tell the Pharisees that this man who had been born blind was now able to see, to see who Jesus truly was, but that the Pharisees, even though they claimed to be servants of God, were actually blind to what God was doing right there in their midst. They didn't understand what Jesus was telling them, so he comes right out and says it. He says, I tell you the truth. Again, it's that truly, truly, that double emphasis statement. I tell you the truth. I am the gate for the sheep. Jesus is telling them that he is the only way that the sheep can enter into the fold of God's people. Again, at each sheep pen, there's only one gate. At the pens outside the city, right outside the city, there were gates that could be opened and closed and easily guarded at night. So the shepherd could, could confidently walk away, leaving his sheep under the care of the watchman, knowing that that gate was closed and his sheep were safe. In those sheep pens out in the wilderness, there was also just one gate, but it wasn't a gate that you could open and close, because these had been put together, you know, usually pretty quickly with the things that were available. The gate was simply an opening in the wall that had been built that was just big enough for the sheep to enter in and to leave through. And when it came time at night for the sheep to enter in, the shepherd would lead them to this opening, and as the sheep entered, he would count them one by one to make sure that none of them were missing. And once all of his sheep were safely inside those walls, the shepherd himself would lay down in that entryway, and he would be the gate. If anyone or anything tried to get in at his sheep, they would have to go through him. If any of the sheep tried to leave the fold that night, they would have to go through him. Jesus here is telling the Pharisees and all who were listening that he is the gate through which anyone needs to enter into to be truly safe and protected. Jesus had compared the Pharisees, on the other hand, to the robber and the thief because they were trying to enter the sheep pen and teach others that they could enter into the sheep pen through their supposed obedience to the law and through doing good works. And Jesus tells them that the only way to enter the sheep pen is through him. Because as we'll look at next week, he is the good shepherd 
who is willing to lay down his life for his sheep. It's what any good shepherd would do. The sheep were the most important thing to the shepherd. They were his livelihood. They were his life. Jesus went on to say that all who came before him were thieves and robbers, but that the sheep didn't listen to them. And I think here that Jesus is referring to the true sheep of Israel, the ones who still loved the Lord with all their heart, souls, mind, and strength, and who didn't let themselves be led astray by false prophets and false teachers. All through the scriptures, we see that there is always a remnant. There is a remnant of believers who still followed the Lord with their lives. These are the ones who still heard the voice of the Lord and followed him with their whole hearts. And the implication here in this passage, especially with Jesus' focus on the Pharisees earlier on, is that many of their current leaders and spiritual teachers were not leading them out to find good pasture. And they were not doing all of the things that a good shepherd does for his sheep. And again, we will look at all of what that entails next week when we look at Jesus' next I am statement when he says, I am the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. Jesus goes on and he reiterates his statement in verse 9 where he says, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. Jesus is telling us once again that he is the door, he is the gate to go into the fold. Jesus says, you must go through me. To go out to pasture, again, you must go through me. As the gate, Jesus is the protector and the provider for the sheep. So when you come in the door or the gate, you're not only saved, but you're safe, you're secure. When you go out to pasture, you are then nurtured and you're satisfied. In this world in which we live, there are many, many different gates that we can choose to go through, just as I mentioned earlier about the airport. And all of these different gates will lead to different places, different pastures, if you will. Each and every religion in the world is a gate of some kind. Each one will lead you to a different pasture. Many of the teachings of man act as gates as well. They will lead to other pastures with different things for people to graze on. And Satan just loves leading people through any and every gate that isn't Jesus. And he will make every other pasture look really good. What's that old saying, the grass is always greener on the other side of the fence? Well, that's what Satan will tell you. Oh, this one's not working for you, not satisfying you enough? That, that's okay. I've got another gate over here, another pasture over here. Let's go there. Doesn't it look good? Doesn't it look green? This will satisfy. And sadly, many in our world will see what Satan offers. And they will follow him into a pasture that might look good for a time, but will never give them the fulfilled life that Jesus offers if we go through his gate. Jesus even mentions Satan here in the last verse. He doesn't mention him by name, but it's who he's talking about. Jesus says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. Remember, the one who tries to come into the sheep pen by any other means besides the gate is a thief and a robber. And Jesus had already compared the Pharisees to the thief and the robber. And he's telling the people that by following them, 
They're not being led out to good pasture, good pasture that will nurture them, that will fulfill them. In fact, he's saying they don't even have your best interest at heart. They tell you that fulfillment can be found in following the law. But as we've seen in other parts of Scripture, none of us can ever follow the law perfectly. In fact, there was only one who ever did, and that's because he was God incarnate. That's why Jesus had to come to fulfill the law for us and be the gate that we can go through to be saved, to have that full life that he promises to all who will follow after him. I'd like to go back to that uh, analogy of the airport for a minute here. If you remember, I said that there are many gates that we can choose to go through, and each gate has its own destination. And many of those destinations look good, don't they? They look promising, just like those different pastures that Satan wants to take you to. But if you know where you want to go, and if the place you want to go is to be with God, to be with him forever, forgiven and free, then there is only one gate that will get you there. I mentioned earlier as well that when we get to that gate to get on the plane, we need a boarding pass, right? To get through security, we need that boarding pass that has our name on it. And the people there need to see some kind of identification that says that we are who we say we are. Well, our boarding pass, to go through the gate of Jesus, to be saved and to have an abundant life, is faith. Faith that is granted to us through the grace of God. Faith is your boarding pass. We looked two weeks ago at Jesus' statement that he is the bread of life. And Jesus told people in that passage that the work of God is what? To believe in the one he has sent. Just believe. That's faith. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 10 that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's your boarding pass to go through the gate of salvation to abundant life. And Jesus says, I am that gate. As we'll see in a few weeks' time, Jesus will tell us in another statement, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's another part of this passage that I want to mention as well. I said that our boarding pass needs to have our name on it. And we need to be identified with that name to be able to get through security and get to our gate. What did Jesus say in verse 3? The shepherd calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. Jesus knows you by name. If you have faith in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you are part of his flock, and he calls you by name. He knows you. And he knows exactly what you need each and every day to live for him in this sin-darkened world. No matter what you may be going through right now, Jesus knows you by name. And he loves you. And he wants to, to lead you to good pasture where you will be safe, where you will find a full, abundant life. But the only way to experience that full, abundant life is to go through the gate of salvation. And Jesus tells you today, I am that gate. My hope and prayer for each of you 
is that you have entered into salvation through faith, that you have gone through the gate of Jesus, and that you are experiencing the full life that Jesus promises to all who will hear his voice and follow after him. If you have any doubts about that, or if you have any questions about where you stand with the Lord today, I'd love to visit with you after the service. For today, and always, remember that Jesus is the only gate that will lead you to a place of of peace and rest with God. He is the only one that will lead you to good pasture and abundant life. It's foolish for us to go through any other gate. Please pray with me. Lord, I thank you that, that you look at each one of us and you know us by name if we have faith in you as our Lord and Savior. That is such a comforting thought, Lord, that you know us by name. And I thank you that you are the one who, who laid down in that gate, that you were the one who was willing to give up your life. You did give up your life to protect your sheep, to save your sheep, to give us new life. Thank you, Lord, for that. And as we continue on, Lord, and as we depart from here today, help us, Lord, to, to know and to hear your voice and to follow you and you alone. Oh, Lord, thank you for being our gate. Thank you for being our Lord and Savior. May we follow after you with our lives, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.